Amen. How are we doing? Awesome. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? I, uh, we just got back from Starkville, Mississippi, kind of early last night. Myself, my family, got to see my mom and one of my brothers and a uh, bunch of cousins I hadn't seen in a while. They're Bama fans, so we'll forgive them. But, uh, <laughs> but we beat Ole Miss, so it doesn't really matter. It's a great weekend. Uh, and uh, I'm a Mississippi State fan, if you hadn't gathered. And I uh, got to see my, my grandmama, and it had been a while since I've seen her. She's in a nursing home now. Uh, so, man, it was just a great great couple days. I am, in, I am interested to know, though, um, I had both, by the way, ham and turkey. But if you're, if you're team turkey, I want to see a hand. Okay. If you're team ham, I want to see a hand. If you're like, give me both. <laughs> you're my people. <laughs> really, turkey's great. You just got to know how to cook it. And, and there's a really important phrase called fried turkey, uh, <laughs> that if you're not aware of, you should become aware of. Um, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel this morning. My name is Ben, by the way. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really honored to be able to preach and speak to you this morning. We're going to be in the gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, so if you want to, go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. And if you would like a physical copy, we'll have it on the screen as well. But if you'd like a physical copy, if you want to raise your hand, one of our ushers would be glad to hand you a Bible that you can use this morning. Uh, and you can keep this Bible if you don't own one or would like one. Uh, please take it home uh, as our gift to you and, and use it. Um, but we're going to be in Matthew 9. And what, what we're talking about this morning is a very familiar uh, story in, in the Gospels that you've maybe heard before. Uh, in fact, I've preached on this story before, but from Mark's Gospel, and today we're looking at Matthew's version. Um, but I think this is one of the key passages for 24 Church. You know, like, we need all of God's Word, but then there are these certain passages that just kind of stick in your bones. And you're like, oh, that's marching orders. And I, I think this story is, is marching orders for us. In fact, our church was kind of founded on one of the main themes that's expressed in this story. We're about to be, if you don't know, we're about to be 18 years old uh, here in the new year. So this church was planted almost 18 years ago. And it was always planted to be a church that people who didn't feel like maybe they fit in church could go, maybe I fit in there. I mean, maybe some of you, it's actually kind of hard for you to set foot in a church. Maybe some of you uh, know a lot of Christians and they seem anything but Christian. You know, maybe you have a, a, a past and you kind of feel wounded by the church. And in many, many ways, 24 Church was started not because we needed another church per se, but because we were specifically seeking people who might not be in church otherwise. And we go, I feel at home here. It just seems a little more laid back. And that's still the case today. And we're going to see a story this morning about how Jesus welcomes people to his table, how he welcomes people to his family. So I want us to read this together. We're in Matthew 9. And we're going to begin with verse 9 through 13. So read with me now if you would. And it says this. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, 
Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, they don't go to Jesus directly. They're kind of scared about that. So they talked to his disciples and they asked him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, as we dip into this passage, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak powerfully to all our hearts. I pray that we would hear the message of the gospel afresh and anew in a way, Holy Spirit, that you would just grab our attention and comfort us. And Lord, challenge us. Lord, remind us how deeply loved we are. Help me to preach completely from your heart this morning, the overflow of the heart of the Father. And Lord, would you just surround us with your love and challenge us with, with the mission of the gospel and just awaken our hearts afresh and anew. Lord, we need, we need fresh wind and fresh fire this morning. We're gathered because we want to meet with you. So continue to meet with us and help us now as we study from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want us to see three things really in this story this morning. I want us to see the call of the gospel Secondly, I want us to see what is a proper response to the gospel. And then I think Jesus does a lot here to clarify a proper understanding of the gospel. So we got the call of the gospel, the response to the gospel, and a proper understanding of the gospel. That's kind of where we're, we're going. Uh, and again, if you just look at verse 9 again, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, the there is most likely Capernaum. Because we actually see earlier in Matthew 4.13 that it says, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. So Jesus was from Nazareth, but at some point in his earthly ministry, he seems to have moved to Capernaum, and that's kind of his home base, okay? So the passing on from there, he was just in his hometown, it says in the previous story. So that there is Capernaum. So he's leaving Capernaum, and he's by the Sea of Galilee, most likely. So passing on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. So Matthew is most likely situated on the Sea of Galilee or between two territories, and he's collecting probably kind of like a customs tax or a toll tax. So you're passing from there, and you got to give over some taxes if you have any goods from one, to go to from one area to the next. Okay, that's what's going on. And I don't know about you. I mean, I don't, I don't think tax people are maybe our favorite people in the world in, uh, in 2022, uh, but, but maybe we cut our, our tax people in 2022 some slack, even we don't love, love them. Uh, but in these days, they're really not liked, you know? And, and there's at least three reasons for that. Number one, so the, these were Jewish guys, these tax collectors, and they had sided with the Romans. Remember that Israel at this time is a defeated country. It's under Roman rule. Rome is in charge. They kind of let you do your thing, but they're going to collect taxes from you. And so, but they hired all Jewish tax collectors. So this is a guy who's basically a traitor to his countrymen. He has sided with the Romans who rule Israel. Okay. Secondly, they were known to be extortionists. Okay, so, so you would take what Rome wanted, but you would take additional 
money for yourself and you would pocket that. So these are most likely wealthy men, these tax collectors. And so they, they were extortionists and they had, you know, they had the, the backing of these Roman centurions to, to make sure that you had to, you had to pay it over. You know, you caught 19 fish in the sea and now you're passing through and they go, we want 17 of them. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, and then they were pretty unspiritual men, it seems, because in order for you to be a tax collector and work regularly with Gentiles, which is, that is non-Jewish people, that meant you were unclean. So you're kind of rejected by everybody and you're, and you're pretty well hated because you're a traitor, you sided with the enemy, you're an extortionist, you're rich while everybody else is poor, and, and you're unspiritual because you're unclean, you're hanging out with all the sinful people. I mean, this guy's hated. So funny story, you know, I grew up in Colorado, some of you know that about me, I, I wear it pretty proudly, uh, but in the middle of high school, my parents split up and I ended up in Mississippi, so culture shock here, right? Um, I fully embraced the, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So I'm a weird mixture of like the West and the South now, okay? But, but in the middle of high school, it was, it was a change. You know, I came to a high school my junior year that had all these rules that Colorado didn't have. Um, one of them was that you couldn't have facial hair like below the middle of your lip. That was the rule. You know, and I was, I was beginning to get grizzly in high school already. So what did I do? Well, I kind of rebelled against the Southern culture. So I intentionally grew like Elvis mutton chops, like as long and as thick and as low as I could possibly get them, you know, to kind of like push the envelope as much as I could, but not get in trouble. And it's like, oh, chaps Ralph Lauren. That's what y'all wear. That's not what I will wear. You know, so it's just like, been against the world. That was kind of, you know, and, and sometimes I think we read this story and, you know, this is 24 church. And we go, that's right. Jesus came for rebels like us. People with long hair and tattoos and don't want to dress up. And, and that's true as far as it goes. But we're missing the offensiveness of Matthew if we think that's all that's going on here. Matthew is stealing your money. He's the politician who's living large on the backs of everybody else. He's the soldier who sided with the enemy. Matthew's hated for a reason. We need to get that in our heads. So just by way of thinking through this, who are the people in your life that it's very easy for you not to like them? And maybe secretly you wouldn't say it out loud, but you kind of hate them. And they're the last people that you think Jesus would ever call. In fact, you don't, maybe you kind of feel like Jonah. You don't even necessarily want them to have Jesus. Just by way of reflection. Jesus walks up to this man and says, why don't you follow me? I mean, that's shocking. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's describing the Corinthian church. And listen to how he describes this church in Corinth, these Jesus followers. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed in Jesus. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And maybe your story this morning is, and such were some of you. You're like, I'm in that list. I'm still currently in that list. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I know I ought to be. In fact, sometimes I feel lonely and as if no one wants me. And to you this morning, to all of us, Jesus says, I want you. Why don't you come into the family, Matthew? That's point number one. The call of the gospel is to anyone and everyone, even the people that we would never suspect that Jesus would call to himself. Point number two, though, is the response to the gospel. And if it's shocking that Jesus would call a man like Matthew to himself, maybe what's even more shocking is that Matthew, what does it say? Jesus passed on from there, saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Matthew followed Jesus. Unless this seemed like any small thing, remember who we said Matthew was. He was likely wealthy. So Leon Morris says this. He says, Matthew left a whole way of life to follow Jesus. Tax collectors were usually wealthy men, for there was ample scope for profit in their business. So Matthew was probably making a great material sacrifice when he walked out of that office. And the action was final. They would surely never take him back again if he later decided he wanted to return. The fishermen might go back to their fishing, but the tax collector would not be able to return to levying customs duties. Anyway, his lucrative post would be filled immediately. And if he tried to get another job, who wants to employ a former tax collector? Matthew's response indicated a thoroughgoing trust in Jesus. So maybe you've been where Matthew was. I mean, we're just kind of surmising here from the text, but, but why would he leave and follow Jesus? He's wealthy, and maybe he's beginning to see that his, his employment is not satisfying the deepest regions of his soul. Maybe he knows that he's acting sinfully, and he knows he needs something more, and that his money is not going to cover over the, the emptiness in his heart. Maybe he looked for all his hopes and dreams in this job or this career or this wealth, and he knows now it doesn't satisfy. And so in one decisive move, Jesus goes, will you follow me? And he goes, I, I got to. Like, I, this isn't working for me. And so maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest, life's not working for you. Maybe you've made an idol out of money or career I mean, we all have this tendency to like set up these false gospel narratives, right? I'm overweight. If I could just lose weight, that would be my salvation and everything in my life would be fine. But you can't seem to lose weight or maybe you do lose weight and you go, I'm, I'm still not fine. Maybe, all, maybe your false gospel narrative is about money. You're like, I'm so broke. If I just had money, that would fix everything. And, and your salvation is wealth. Or maybe you're single and you go, my salvation would be just finding that right person. And so all your hopes and energies and prayers and dreams are wrapped up in finding that person that you feel like you desperately need. But here's the thing, that person cannot take the place of Jesus. They can't bear the weight of it. And I am so glad I'm married and I love my wife to death. She cannot be Jesus for me. And I cannot be Jesus for her. We need something deeper. And in this moment, Matthew realized he needs something more. 
He needs something more. So what is the proper response to the gospel? Well, Paul actually tells us in Acts 20, I think we're getting this on the screen, but Acts 20, 20, and 21, Paul tells us the gospel he preached, and he says this. He said, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. It's the last time he's going to see them. He's headed towards Jerusalem, if you know the story in the book of Acts. And so he's planted this church in Ephesus, and he's talking one more time to these pastors in Ephesus, and he's probably not going to ever see them again. And he reminds them, he said, he said I want to remind you what, guys, what I did, guys. He said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And I taught you in public and from house to house, te- testifying to both Jews and to Greeks, so to anyone that would listen, of And then he says it, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith is always the proper response to the gospel. It's really one thing. It's two sides of one thing. So repentance, what is repentance? Repentance means, actually, if you go back to the Greek, it means a change of mind. So it's it's such a radical change of mind. All your, like, like I was just saying, all your hope is in this. And then all of a sudden you realize that's an idol. It doesn't satisfy. My hope needs to be in something else. I repent of thinking that's going to fix my problems. Radical change of mind. And then what do you put in place of of what was your hope? And you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a radical, such a radical change of mind that you begin to live differently and you put all your faith in something else. All your faith in Jesus. And so maybe some of you are here this morning and you're, you're str- I hope there's people here who are struggling with whether or not they, they want to follow Jesus. Like, I don't know. I'm exploring. There's actually a statistic out right now that says the millennials, more so than any other demographic post-COVID are returning to church in greater numbers than any other demographic currently. And I think it's because we're looking around and realizing the, the, the vapid wasteland that is like social media, online, glued to my phone. There's got to be something more to life than this. And that's not just millennials. It's all of us. So if you're wrestling with faith this morning, I just want to encourage you repent of putting your faith and trust in anything else and do what Matthew did and stand up and follow Jesus. Walk out on whatever you need to walk out on. Walk out on the sinful lifestyle that's not helping. Walk, walk out on the addiction that's not helping. You may need help with that. But say, I don't want that anymore. What I want is Jesus. Now, to bring this to life, I, I can't think of a better example than this, this really old song by uh, the rapper Lecrae, who's a Christian rapper, and I love this. And he, he actually, in this song, is talking about his conversion. And he's talking about, he, because, because we, we need to be careful that we realize that following Jesus doesn't mean I clean up my life and get it together and then I follow Jesus. What, what repentance and faith is, is, is I need help cleaning up my life, so I'm not going to try to get it together. I'm just going to repent. I'm going to change my mind. That stuff's not working. I'm going to follow Jesus, and now he's going to help me on the way to get my life straight. And it may take years, but I repent of thinking that's going to satisfy, and instead I'm just going to look for satisfaction in Jesus, okay? Because we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So we can't work our way to God. We don't clean ourselves up and then come to Jesus. We go, I'm a mess. He goes, yeah, I know. But I love you anyway. Come on. So this is Lecrae. 
I'm not going to wrap it. Um, <laughs> if I thought I could, I would, but I, you know. But he says, even though they say you love the world so much, you shed your blood, God, I feel I'm too messed up for love. They tell me, come as I am, but I smell like smoke. My whole life is full of sin because it's all I know. The Bible told me that you died for my sins. If I believe in Christ, it'll save me from the end. But I'm scared to ask you to save me and my heart. So evil, I got thoughts that's full of hatred and hurting people. I thought at first I had to clean up my life. Now I'm hearing I just need to cling to the light. I'm ready to do it. But Lord, I pray you understand my life is a mess. Will you take me as I am? Will you take me as I am? I know the way I'm living is wrong, but I can't change on my own trying to make it alone. I wonder how could you love me when my life is so ugly, but you came and died for me. Will you take me as I am? And that's the response to the gospel. And if you've never had that response, I pray that some of you, with the Holy Spirit's help, would make it today and say, I got to follow Jesus. Because it does not matter how jacked up your life is. He wants you. He loves you. I read a book last week, actually. No, I'm in the middle of it. I'm reading a lot of books. Um, and the guy, the guy asked the question. He said, he said, for a lot of us, we can hear God loves you so much it kind of like rolls like duck off a of water's back, uh, you know, water off a of duck's back, and we're not, like, it doesn't, like, ring. And so he asks a different question. He says, let me ask this question. Does God like you? Like, with all your weirdness, with all your personality quirks and messed upness, to which the resounding answer is yes. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to spend time with you. So Jesus says, will you follow me? So will we follow him in repentance and faith? Okay, then the third part of this sermon, which is let's get some clarifications around what the gospel is because the Pharisees are very confused by this whole ordeal. And so God's gonna give us even more just like awesomeness to think about here. And I wanna make four uh you know, clarifications about properly understanding the, the gospel from the rest of this text. Let's read the rest of the text again just to get it in our minds. So it says in verse 10, as Jesus reclined at table in the house. So Matthew's followed him. So the next thing, this is Matthew's house, by the way. The other gospel accounts tell us it's Matthew's house. Uh, Matthew just says in the house, okay? But it's his house. So, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn, teachers of the law, who had a lot of the Old Testament memorized, go and learn, because you don't get it, what this means, and he quotes Hosea 6.6 6 here. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call not, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. Four clarifications here about what the gospel is and what it isn't. Uh, the first one, the gospel is an invitation to reconciliation and intimacy. Okay. So what's going on here? Um, Matthew throws a party and... 
and a, a bunch of other tax collectors show up. And, and also, when, when you're rejected by society, who are your friends? The other people rejected by society. So this is sinners, and, and all the commentators say this probably isn't just like regular people. Uh, this is like prostitutes. This is like, you know, other tax collectors. This, these are the, the hated of the hated. These are the people that are hanging out with each other because they got no one else to hang out with. And so Matthew throws a party, and Jesus and his disciples are there, and all, all these sinners are, are there too, and, uh, and that's what's going on. And, and here's the significance. Scott Barchi is this uh, guy, and he writes, his commentator, and he says this. He said, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than an occasion for individuals to consume nourishment. It's far more than just about eating. Uh, being welcomed at the table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom you had shared a table was really bad. And if you had beef with somebody else and you invited them over for a meal, that showed that the beef was gone. That's what's going on here. So when Jesus is sitting at a table with his disciples, with all the, the undesirables of society, what it's symboling here, it symbol, symbolizing here, is that Jesus, because it is Jesus, he wants to have fellowship with us, deep intimacy with us. You feel like you're rejected or you don't quite fit in with everybody else, and Jesus goes, I want you. The gospel is an invitation to intimacy and fellowship. When we take the Lord's Supper together, that's one of the symbols going on is that the Lord takes previously estranged people and he says, sit down for me with, with a meal. Sit down with me for a meal because I want to know you. That's the first thing that we need to get in our head. The second clarification here is that the gospel is not about saving ourselves. We've already been talking about this, but this is where the Pharisees are really confused, right? Because the Pharisees, listen to Tim Chester here. He says, Pharisaism, so there's all these groups in first you know, first century New Testament Judaism, there's Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes, and there's all these different groups. And part of it is they're all kind of trying to find their way and figure out how to relate to God. And Pharisees were doing this. Pharisaism was a lay movement that while not completely rejecting the temple system, because the temple's in Jerusalem, everybody didn't live in Jerusalem, but while not rejecting the temple, it sought to extend the purity laws into one's own home. So they exhorted all Jews to observe voluntarily the purity code that the Torah required only of priests and to do so all year round. The Pharisees regarded their tables at home as surrogates of the Lord's altar in the temple in Jerusalem and therefore strove to maintain in their households and among their eating companions the state of ritual purity required of priests in the temple service. Why? Chester goes on. The Pharisees longed for a time when all Israel would live in such a state of holiness. They believed that Israel's identity and blessed future depended on it. So they're looking around, layman's terms, they're looking around and going, things are not as they should be. We're a defeated nation. Rome's ruling us. This is not how life's supposed to be. You ever felt like that? 
And so their solution was, we need to be really pure. We need to observe the purity that only the priests observe. So we're going to create additional rules that aren't necessarily meant for us. And they thought they were doing right by this. But really what they're doing is a subtle form of idolatry. They're trying to work their way to God. They're doing the the Tower of Babel thing. Trying to create a pathway to God in their own effort. And then, and here's what's really bad about it. You could only do all the purity stuff they're suggesting if you were kind of wealthy. Poor people couldn't do this. They got to work. They got to get dirty. They got to be around Gentiles. And so they were subtly excluding a large swath of the country. And they were saying, you need to be like us and do what we're doing. And they're trying to work their way to God. Again, to which Jesus says, you can't work your way to God. You can't earn your way to God. You can't clean up your life your way to God. You can't pay your way to God. You can't moralize your way to God. You can't attend church your way to God. You can't baptize your way to God. You can't speak in tongues your way to God. It's repentance and faith in Jesus. That's that's the gospel. That's the clarification number two. And along with that is clarification number three, which is we need, the Pharisees needed heart surgery. They were trying to take some antibiotics. <laughs> Your heart's failing. It's so funny because Jesus says, when he heard it, verse 12, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He said, guys, you're wanting me to be a doctor and not be around sick people. How is that possible? And they didn't have like telehealth. He wasn't like on the internet talking to people. You know, like he's got to be around us. He's got to take out. Here, here's what Ezekiel says. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. He goes, he goes you're, you're trying to purify your way to God. It, you need heart surgery. You need me to take out your cold, dead, unbelieving heart and give you a heart that has faith and that wants to walk in my ways. You need salvation. You need the gospel. Jesus said to him, to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to be, there has to be a a time in our life when we're born again, when God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that believes and is soft and tender and wants the ways of God. He has to save us from our sinfulness. What Jesus did on the cross has to be applied specifically to our lives. That's the gospel. And so Paul pictures this way in Romans 6. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here's what happens in salvation. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What does baptism symbolize? What's going on? Symbolizes what happens in salvation. We die to who we were. We die. We're raised to newness of life. Jesus is going, Pharisees, that's what you need. I came to be around sick people so that I could give them heart surgery. Okay, fourth clarification. 
The gospel requires that we show grace because we have been shown grace. So God changes us, and now we need to be people of grace because we've been shown tremendous mercy and grace. And that's why he quotes Hosea 6.6 6 to them. He says, he says, go and learn what this means. So realize how much of a Jesus stabbing at him he is. <laughs> He's going, guys, you don't understand the scriptures that you claim to know so well. They, all these Pharisees, would have had a lot of, if not all, of the Old Testament memorized. So he goes, hey, guys, go reread Hosea 6.6. 6. You don't get it. And what does Hosea 6.6 6 say? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the, not the righteous, but sinners. And here, here's what he's saying. What Jesus is saying by quoting Hosea 6.6 6 is this. He says, when we realize that our own sinfulness, our brokenness, when we realize that, when, when we realize that's who we were and that Jesus in his great mercy was not just willing but wanted to forgive us, then that should lead us to be a people, a family that graciously forgives others, easily forgives others. We've been shown tremendous mercy and grace. Therefore, we extend tremendous mercy and grace. And so if you're ever in your life and you're having trouble forgiving somebody, what, what is the solution to that? You know that you ought to. You need to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Remind yourself of your mistakes. Be humbled. And then realize that Jesus stepped into the middle and said, I love you exactly how you are. Mistakes and all. Screwed upness and all. And you just kind of get that on you. You go, I don't deserve to be loved. I'm deeply loved. And then that can create in us an ability to begin to love others the way that we've been loved. And Jesus says, this is exactly what the Pharisees don't have. Guys, you're missing it. The gospel motivate us, motivates us to extend the gospel to others. Right? So, he desires steadfast love, not religiosity. Here's what, um, here's what R.T. France says. He says, this is one of <clears throat> several prophetic sayings which challenge people's instinctive reliance on correct ritual while ignoring the moral demands of their religion. The principle applied here is not, uh, here not to sacrifice as such, but to fa the, fa the Pharisees' preoccupation with ritual purity. He goes, you're focused on like, religion stuff, ritual purity, and you ought to be focused on loving your neighbor. Tim Chester, when Jesus eats with Levi, that's Matthew's other name, by the way, Levi, Matthew, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers, people on the margins, people who've made a mess of their lives, people who are ordinary, Jesus has come for you. The only people who are left out are those who think they don't need God, the self-righteous and the self-important. And sadly, that includes many people. And that's where the Pharisees were. They were self-righteous and self-important. They didn't realize their own sinfulness. And so they hadn't received the grace that they needed in the gospel. And they weren't extending that grace to anybody else. And we want to be a church that just is just swallowed up in Jesus' love and wants to see that love extended to our neighbors, 
to our coworkers, to people visiting on a Sunday morning that we don't know. That's why we greet one another. Hey, how are you going? How's it going? We're glad you're here. Get to know them because we've been radically loved. We've been radically forgiven. Forgiven. God has changed our hearts. And so we want to see that extend to everybody else. One last quote. Craig Blomberg. Jesus fraternizing with disreputable people remains a scandal in the predominantly middle-class suburban Western church. Many of us, like the Pharisees, at best ignore the outcasts of our society and at worst continue to discriminate against them. We do well to consider substantially increasing our spiritual, evangelistic, and social outreach to minorities, the homeless, prostitutes, addicts, gays and lesbians, AIDS victims, and the like, as well as to the more hidden outcasts, such as divorcees, single parents, the elderly, white-collar alcoholics, and so on and so on and so on. We must get to know them as intimately as Jesus got to know us, because only close and trusted friends shared table fellowship over meals. We dare not join with sinners in their sinning, but we may well have to go to places with them and encounter the world's wickedness in ways that the contemporary Pharisees and our churches will decry. And so maybe the future for 24 Church will continue to be the people on the outside that don't completely realize what's going on will be like, what is going on with that church? Because it's just messy. Because messy people are here. But messy people are here being healed by the gospel, being changed by the message of Jesus, drinking living water. And we're not all fixed yet, but Jesus is slowly fixing us up. And we're trying to clean to the gospel and, and ask, will you keep changing my heart more and more and more? I need more faith. I do want to be holy. I need more love. I do want to love as I've been loved. That's the vision of 24 Church. Are you joined? And do you want to be part of that vision? Has Jesus changed your heart? Are you trusting in him? Are you inviting others to trust in him? Let's pray. Father, I want, I want to be on board with this. I honestly believe the people in this room want to be on board with this. It's a hard calling. We're going to need a lot of grace. We're going to need your help. Lord, this morning, afresh and anew, help us to trust in you and you only. To not seek our satisfaction in things that are passing, but to find satisfaction most deeply in you, in Jesus. Lord, help us to be people who regularly think about our story and think about how you're the hero of our story and want to extend grace to others as we've been shown tremendous grace. Father, help us to be like Matthew. And we thank you that you're like you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.